0: Okay, brothers and sisters, go ahead and go back to your table, but remain standing for the authority of God's Word. You can head back to your seat, but go ahead and remain standing for the authority of God's Word. If you have a worship guide, you're going to see the authority of Scripture in your worship guide. We will read that out loud. Um, There is a little paragraph, a little sentence in bold that we like to say uh, together. So, remain standing. So, this is the Word of God according to the Gospel of Luke Verses 1 through 4, and then uh, chapter 7, 33 through 34, this is the Word of God. And as much as many have undertaken uh, to compl- compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered fr- to us, uh, them to us, it seems good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. And then chapter 7 says, For John the Baptist have come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say, he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And we all say together, Go ahead and grab a seat. So we are starting a brand new sermon series today. Uh, You see the graphic and you see the title. Um, And so before we jump into this, these first four very crucial verses in the Gospel of Luke, we're going to hope to take 15 weeks in the spring and another 15 weeks in the fall to journey through this Gospel together. Now, we're not going to be able to get every single verse. However, we hope to get the breadth enough to be able to say that we studied and we were able to see this this gospel in its entirety. And to do that, we've picked out the specific passages that have to do with food and drink and table. Because as commentaries have given us that there are some major themes in the gospel of Luke, of which one of those is this idea of food and drink. Let's jump in with a question. So, what do you, what, what creates doubt in your heart and your life? What are the moments in which you question the thing that was right in front of you? Do you doubt the fact that a paycheck will show up to you? Do you doubt the fact that uh, maybe, just maybe the, you know, the economy is going in the tank? Do you doubt security around you? Do you doubt the fact that spouses are as committed as you are? Do you doubt that when you jump out of a plane with a parachute that it's going to open? Do you doubt the fact that chairs underneath you will stay stable? I'm not sure what you doubt, but all of us have doubts, don't they? And those doubts tend to rob us of things. Those doubts tend to take things from us, mainly our confidence. Mainly this idea that what is said in black and white is actually going to come true. So then, if you have more doubts, there are these false narratives that creep up in your heart and your mind. And you then start to look at the world and you become very skeptical of things. And skeptical of people then to start looking at the world more negatively. I'm not saying that that's a bad place to be. I've not lived in your life and I haven't been in the relationships than you have. You may have an entire history of people who've walked out on you or failed you. Circumstances that have not ended up the way that you wanted. I don't know that. However, even pasty, clean, sterile, insulated people, they still have doubts because that's part of the human existence. The opposite of doubt is, of course, this idea of certainty. That's a much better word, isn't it? Certainty has this idea of stability. You can be counted on. The promises come true rather than being broken. And so certainty is a much better, more stable, more clear word. Those are the, that's the word that we like much more than doubt. The Gospel of Luke starts out with this idea, this idea of something that is for certain. But how do you know for sure that something is certain? That it'll never fail you, that it'll never move, that the foundation will never crack. There's not much in this world. Maybe gravity is one of those things that will always be true. I'm not sure. But here we have the Gospel writer. His name is Luke. And he wants to come to us with some type of certainty that you can count on, especially when your faith falters. Something that you can count on when the stories of the Bible become a little bit more like fairy tales than real things. Maybe you have outgrown this book or these stories. But here in our Gospel, Gospel of Luke, he wants to tell us something for certain. So here in the very first paragraph of uh, Luke's gospel, you have these words, to write an orderly account. You can kind of see some scientific notions there. To you, most excellent Theophilus, we'll talk about him later, that you may have, and let's say it together, that you may have certainty. Oh no, that's a good word. That's a more stable word. That's much different than doubt, right? That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And so here we are. We need to step into a season of certainty. Something that is concrete. Something that is tactile. Something that is black and white and truly can be counted on. And so what are those types of things? What are some of the most tactile things in our world? Things that we can touch and feel and count on. Well, that's the reason we have come up with this idea of realia, okay? You may not know this word, right? You may, that's okay, but R-E-A-L-I-A, this idea of realia, of food and drink. Because what the gospel of Luke has come to us is he is giving us object lessons over and over and over He's giving us tactile, real examples that can be counted on more times than not. And he's giving us this idea that there are certainties in this world. Does it mean that all the doubts go away? No. But there is something that we can come back to over and over and over again. So what exactly does realia mean, right? So for all of the English majors in here, you're all like, that is such a word that a." Learned in seventh grade. So anyway, realia, all right, for all of us that went to county schools, realia here are objects and materials from everyday life, all right? So just look around you, chairs and mats and gyms and curtains, right? Husbands and wives and microphones, objects and materials from everyday life, especially used um, as teaching aids. And so what Luke does, over and over and over again, is he is able to take the real tangible things in life and teach us about the kingdom of God. He's going to take everyday object lessons, things like salt, and things like wheat, and things like a banquet, things like fasting, things over and over. All of these tactile, real things to give us an idea that we, right, can count on certain things being there. And so as we get through this passage, we get a clearer picture of who Jesus is. Food and drink and table. Foods right? That we would normally consume, drinks that we would normally consume, a table that we would find ourselves at. Ironically, from the very beginning of 10 years worth, we have had a table on our logo. And so moving into our 10-year anniversary, we strategically picked this series, right? And this subject line so that you and I could be reminded and we could go back to the basis. Many of you were not in the room 10 years ago, and that's okay. So for the entire uh, year of 2023, as we go through Luke, we're just going to remind ourselves of what the gospel is and what the kingdom is. But more importantly, who Jesus is and what he has called us to. Over and over and over in the gospel of Luke, he paints this picture of a table, a gathering place. A place with four sides, or maybe it's a round table, but irregardless of that, all parties are facing in, and they have to look each other in the eye. There's no ranking, there's no file, there's no stage, it's just all here together. And what the gospel of Luke tells us is that the table is good for discipleship. And guess what? That's what we're all about is the disciples who make disciples, who then make more disciples. And the table is good for those types of conversations and that type of life. Luke will also tell us that this table, this table where there's no rank, there's no superiority, there's no, there's, there's no priority there, that Luke continues to look at to the outsider people who are far from Jesus, people who are far from community and welcoming them to this simple idea, this simple object called a table to say, you have a place here. The only reason that people church plant is not to give church people another place to to call home, but to reach out, to find people who are far from Jesus who are far from community and say, you have a, a place here. That's what we, this is going back to the basis. That's how we started. And that's what we need to be reminded about over and over and over again. It's a place of discipleship, but it's also a place of outreach. And then the table it is a table of remembrance. And you, there's four tables scattered around the room where we will take communion week in and week out as we anticipate not just the the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus and the person and work of Jesus, but we will do this, and the scripture tells us, until he returns. And so our faithfulness, our object lesson, the thing that we will be the most true to is coming to the literal table over and over and over to remind ourselves who our faith is built on. And it's on the person and work of Jesus. And that's it. The gospel of Jesus, the table of Jesus, gives us hope. A hope for the future. And so that's what you're going to get. You're going to see through the eyes and the actions of Jesus. Over and over. It's a narrative. You're going to see the eyes and the actions of Jesus. So that hopefully he will rub off on you and me. So that we too will have the eyes. And the actions of jesus this is where we're going to be this uh this summer so we're excited or this uh, this entire year so we really are excited so food and drink um is all throughout the scriptures uh here is a three font right and this is just a i mean i couldn't all fit it all on one screen right so this is just a small sampling of passages in the scriptures all right and so if you can read this um i have a reward for you i'm kidding i don't have a reward those are all jokes but this, this is just a sampling of just passages in luke right uh, just these are dozens and dozens and dozens and there's more of them and just this one gospel that mentions food mentions drink mentions the table mentions uh, some idea that this food this drink this table this is the realia. this is the theme This is the movement. This is the object lesson for us. And so guess what the object lesson for our lives will be? You have to eat a couple of times a day. Most of you three and you cheat and have a couple of snacks anyway. Most of you spend most of your money on food in the grocery store. What would it look like for the entire 2023? 2023 that you use something simple like food and drink and a table to open your door and invite somebody to join you at a table. It's that simple. And so over and over and over, you're going to be prodded from up here, whoever is teaching, to the simple question is, who? That's it. Who? Who's the name that's burdened on your heart? Who are the people in your life right now, far from Jesus, far from community, that you can simply invite in and to have a rich, wonderful conversation of who God is. So here's Luke, right? This is the fourth gospel, or third gospel of our four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We don't know a ton about Luke. He wasn't a disciple of Jesus. Mean that he didn't follow him throughout his earthly ministry, but he sure does know a lot about him. More likely than not, he is a Gentile. He speaks and he writes in wonderful Greek. He's obviously the most sophisticated of it. Of the gospels, some people call this the gospel to the Gentiles. Or another way to put it, the gospel to the outsiders. The gospels for us. Not many of us in here are Jewish by nature or by birth, Right? and so all of us that once were outsiders being welcomed to the table of the lord so the, he his greek he's probably upper class he is elevated he indicates that he's probably has some education and some peculiarities so there just there's so much richness in there um so we want you to enjoy this book and some of you have um just opposed to writing in your own bibles which is okay so what we've done is we're giving away this booklet here to you guys so if you want This it's just a simple booklet with the passage on the left and writing on the right, and so you're just able to journey through this this year. Make sure you put your name on it because there'll be 150 of these floating around, and so we will not know whose is who. But pick up one of these at the soup as you go out. Make sure that you journey through this because we want you to understand the gospel of Luke, and we want you to understand that everything that he is putting in place is wonderful. So if Luke is unique in that he gives us a, a Greek perspective how can we prove that well we would not have some of the wonderful outsider um stories of the other three gospels we would not have like the road to Emmaus where they were literally walking away from Jerusalem we would not have the prodigal son in which the son actually comes home you wouldn't have some of these other feasts and festivals that are made for the Gentiles, are made for people who are on the outside. uh, Luke, in his particular, is unique by the fact that he is always looking at the outsider and bringing them in. It's wonderful. And so where you will find a social outcast, you will find Luke talking about it. So this is Luke. He's also a little bit of, he's a a doctor, and so he's he's very um, he's um, very specific, but he's also a historian. And we see that in the way that he phrases some things, even in the first four verses. You see this, like in as much. I mean, first and foremost, who starts a letter in as much? Smart people, right? So in as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative, and he goes on to say, I've also done so, right? And so this idea that he's compiling, he's gathering. And so this idea is good From the very beginning, there were eyewitnesses. So obviously he's gone and he's done some investigative work and he's gathered all of the information, all the details of of the life of Jesus to write an orderly account to you. So this historian is doing really good work that you may have certainty. This is Luke's prerogative. That you and I would have certainty that the gospel of Jesus The person and work of Jesus is real. Over and over and over, he is knowing. He's coming at your doubts. And he's coming at your uncertainties. And he's coming at some of the questions in your life. And he's allowing you to have those questions answered in the life of Jesus. And so he writes it down for us. So where can we find certainty? Where can we find some things, right? Some orderliness. Where can we have it all compiled? We have it here. It's detailed for us. Little known fact is that Luke is the most prolific of our New Testament writers. Most of us would give that either to Paul or even John, right? Depending on how many words that they have written. But it is Dr. Luke, an outsider, who gets the majority of the words in the New Testament. That's remarkable to me. So if you look at the Gospel of Luke and then also the sequel in the, in the letter of Acts, with those two books, with that two compilation, there were more words in those two units than any other author that pens in the New Testament. Yes, when I went back and counted this week. That's just kind of what we do. But he, he writes in this genre of what we call a narrative. He puts it in real time and place. He tells it in a story. He wants you to fall in love with real characters. He wants you to find the tension in real life. He wants your heart and my heart to be in conflict. He also wants that conflict to be resolved in some way. He then talks in elaborate parables and wonderful stories. He captures our imagination over and over and over. And so here we are, and I just want you to have trust and faith in the author Luke himself, that what he is going to say for the next year can be trustworthy. But he says it for one reason and one reason only, so that you may know Jesus. And so that you could see the eyes and the actions of Jesus so that you too may have the eyes and the actions of Jesus. His gospel is full of facts, real time and real people. All of us know the the Jesus' birth narrative in Luke chapter two, how does it start? With Greek names that you can't um, pronounce and districts that you don't know about. Again, in chapter three, and with the introduction of John the Baptist, more names and more districts and more rulers. Because all of these facts are to tell us That in real time, in real place, in real people, this is the gospel of Jesus. So he comes to us and he comes in spirit and truth. And all those things are ethereal by nature that you can't see and touch. This is one of the most practical books in your New Testament because of who Luke is. He wants to prove to someone else that Jesus is real. But more than that, He's not just a doctor, right? So he's precise, he's good. Not j- he's just a historian, but he's also an evangelist. This is the very nature of both the gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts. There is a man, right? A single man. His name is Theophilus. And so I want to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. There he is. 50,000 words in the Gospel of Luke and Acts, both addressed to one guy. Luke took the time, and energy, and the effort. All the eyewitnesses, all the investigations, all the scrap pieces of paper, he's compiling them in order that you would may be certain. And when he says you may be certain, he's thinking not just of the church of Jesus that for 2000 years would come back to this introduction. He wrote it with the motivation of one person to know for certain who Jesus is. Now that's dedication. If you spent that kind of care for one person, Shouldn't we give the time and attention to that? So here you have Luke's best effort. This is his gospel tract, right? This is his four spiritual laws. This is his apologetic class to us so that we may know. So, Theophilus, we don't know much about him. All we know is that he is most excellent. He is probably some kind of governmental authority. He's likely a Gentile. He is an outsider and he is seeking. We don't know about his conversion status. We don't know if he's yet to convert or he's newly convert. But all we know is there's doubts in Theophilus' life. And some kind of conversation that he had with Luke put him on alert. And he says, that man and that family, that community, they need to know Jesus. And there's something in their conversation that made him think, if he only knew what I knew. And he went to writing. And he went to compiling. And so what we have is just Luke's greatest work so that we could read in the filter of this guy, Theophilus, who is seeking to know the Lord. Luke is a doctor. He's very articulate. He's very smart. He's maybe even wealthy. And he puts all of his reputation on the line to risk all the time and energy and the effort so that Theophilus would come to know the Lord. So what about you this year? Clean application, is it simple? It's either an invitation for you to be Luke for someone else, or maybe, just maybe you're Theophilus. And the application, invitation, it doesn't really matter because it's about the same. Let's just say that you're a Theophilus in here. Yeah, you know Jesus, you know about him. You know some things, but it's just not quite aligned. Would you just give us 2023? Just come alongside this narrative. Dive into the historical nature of who Jesus is and let the person and work of Jesus do all the heavy lifting for you. And you can simply ask the strongest prayer ever is like, Lord, prove yourself to me. Go on that journey. So maybe you have doubts. We're not afraid of your doubts. We're not afraid of your questions in here. In fact, we want it to happen. We want you to engage on Sunday mornings. We want you to come to community groups and just ask the hard, hard questions about who God is. So maybe you're a Theophilus this morning. You're full of doubts. That's okay. Give Luke, give this this book a chance. But maybe you have a walk with the Lord. Maybe you have I witnessed in your own life the proof of who Jesus is and you know that he has changed your life forever. And so maybe you need to become Luke. Is there one person, just one, right? This is not like the Billy Graham Crusades where you're trying to fill up a stadium. Is there one person this year that you can write on some scrap of paper somewhere who's far from Jesus, Far from community and you do everything in your power and all of your prayers to beg the lord to be a faithful witness of christ to that person that's what luke did some conversation some red flags that he is far from the lord what if i could give him a couple of letters to prove that the spirit of god is it and so what do you see in this letter right? Luke the historian, Theophilus the seeker. But what do you see? You see the person and work of Jesus. This is the story that Luke wants to tell. He doesn't want to tell like fun stories. He doesn't want to just tell you about like all of the adventures of, 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 of humanity. He wants to tell you about this person, the person of Jesus. Every single page, every single narrative, every single pericope, every single parable is the center of it, is the person and work of Jesus. Three different times in three different places in the gospel of Luke, it's, it starts this sentence here, that the son of man who is Jesus, that Jesus came and they fill in the blank. Some of you may have some idea of like the Son of Man came and you're kind of like, I think maybe my Bible memory's okay, right? But there were three different times that Luke says it. He says that the Son of Man, that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. This is who Jesus is. He came to lay down his life for you, Theophilus. And so when you engage your friends who are far from Jesus, when you engage people who are far from community, the only reason our relationship is certain is where their decision on this statement rises and falls. Do they believe that Jesus Christ truly came to give his life for us? He doesn't just say that. He says that the Son of Man, that Jesus also came to seek and to save that which is lost. And so this is his mission statement, right? To go after, to take the next step, to to, to be the forward thinker, to push forward, right? Because the kingdom is, is at hand. This is what he gets to do. He gets to seek. He is the search and rescue team for us. He knows that our souls are far from him and he comes at great lengths in order to give us a message that will last for all eternity. So the person in work is that his character, is that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. His mission is easily to seek and to save. This is what he is going to do. But do you know the third fill-in-the-blank question? That the Son of Man came, right? Those two you probably know, or at least have some access to some of that knowledge. The third one? Not so much. The third one is a little bit more of a mystery because the third one has very little to do with what he came to accomplish, but how he accomplished it. Do you know what the third one is? That the son of man came eating and drinking. Luke is no idiot. Luke is smart. He writes in a compiled nature. He knew exactly what he was doing by giving us three parallel statements that the son of man came not to be served, but to serve, right, to seek and to save. But he told us how we are to live our lives. If we want to emulate Jesus, this is how he did those things. He came eating and drinking. It seems simple, right? Simple food, simple meals, simple tables. Because that's where the richness of conversation happens. That's where people let down their guard. That's where people want to be heard. When's the last time you sat around a table and on the other side of the table is some guy or some gal that just loves to ask questions and they simply just like, so tell me your story. And you just kind of rattle off. You're like, is that it? You just rattle some more. like, tell me more about that. And you just like, you just find yourself oozing just all the information. It's just so good to be known. Throughout our scriptures, throughout this gospel, you have the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, the incarnate one, in real flesh and blood, eating and drinking with his disciples, with outsiders, preparing for a banquet together. And so the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So this is your Savior, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is your Messiah, the one accused of eating too much, drinking too much, and having terrible friends. If you get reduced down to one of those three statements, you eat too much, probably, drink too much, probably, do you have a cohort of friends who are far from Jesus? My hunch is that for very few of us, we have very few friends who are far from Jesus, who are far from community. Some of you are amazing in this space and that's all you do. Like you just spend all your time and money and energy and for that we applaud. But for some of you, y'all know why you were here, to hear that last phrase of your savior Messiah, that he was a friend of people whose society just kind of was too easily cast off over and over and over. So what do we do? What do we do under a message like that? Well, we feel compelled. We ask our question, like, are we the people who are, who are people who are full of Jesus? Are we people who have casually just found ourselves living in Christendom and it just becomes an environment that we're comfortable with? What you have on your screen is what's called a prospectus. A prospectus is a notebook of really well-crafted um, syllables and phrases in order to raise a ton of money. That's what it is. And so the elders at Redeemer uh, Church told me to, I had to create a prospectus so that I could go out and raise a couple hundred thousand dollars in order to start a church. And so I don't know. It was 12, 15, 20 pages long. I can't really remember. But on one of the early pages, the one on the left is where it is. And there's a paragraph that says that just Jesus, we exist for Jesus, who motivates us, who quickens us sustains us. He's the one who gives us purpose. He gives our activities, direction and is our ultimate hope. That was true 10 years ago in the heart of a church planter that didn't even know if it was going to make it. My job this year 10 years in is to drive a new group of people to the same point that our aim, top left hand corner our aim is the person and work of Jesus. It's not to be trendy. It's not to be cool. It's not to grow. It's not even to survive. It's to point to the person and work of Jesus. Let's pray. So, King Jesus, thank you for seeking and saving us. Thank you for not being served, but serving. And thank you for coming in simple terms of of eating and drinking and pointing your people back to that very fact. This morning, the challenge is to redirect our trajectory this year. That it wasn't by accident that any of us showed up, but we needed a challenge of what is the purpose of our year? And we pray that because of this doctor, this historian, this evangelist that we now know our trajectory. That maybe there's just one person that we can engage and point them to Jesus over and over and over this year. To continue to welcome them to our tables, to have deep, lasting, and hopefully eternal conversations. If that's you this morning, if you've been challenged, we're just gonna give you a minute just to pray and ask the Lord for more clarity and more wisdom, or maybe even a name for 2023. So Lord, I pray for that we would have the eyes of Jesus. I pray that we will have the actions of Jesus and that we would also have friends like Jesus. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.